Go ahead and get started. This morning, we're doing our third and final session on a series about money. Paul did the first two weeks. Generally speaking, he was speaking of the blessings of money and the curses of money. So he built out a really good biblical theology of money for us, which just means a biblical theology. Anytime you want to know what does the Bible say about a thing from start to finish, uh, most agent to newest, that kind of thing. Um, we refer to that as a biblical theology. So it's, it's very comprehensive. Um, so that's what Paul has been up to the last two weeks. He asked Ryan and I to uh, do this jointly for the last one. Maybe some more, a couple, highlight a couple of topics regarding money, and then hopefully with practical application attached to them, and then time for a Q&A. So... Ryan will be helping me, we'll be switching, and uh, the outline for today, um, Ryan's going to do a recap, and then I'm going to talk about provision and generosity, Ryan will talk about stewardship and tithing, and then I'll talk about vision and goals for money, and then we will end with Q&A. Before we begin, let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are not silent on money. This is such an uh, oftentimes stressful topic for households. It's a topic that deserves our careful consideration, and you have not left us without guidance. We thank you that you are generous with us in all things. Before money comes into the picture, we have what we need, and we thank you for that. But Lord, help us to sharpen each other and to learn this morning so that we can also be good stewards of money. Please bless our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ryan. All right. Okay, so if it was everybody, hopefully everybody came to those first uh, two ones because they were good, but if you didn't, I'll just give you a quick rundown of what Paul discussed. Um, he talked, the big thing he talked about was like the, the curses of money, right, and then the blessings of money. Um, but we could go... Like Drew and I were talking, we could go a lot on money because the Bible talks more about money and references money and possessions more than heaven and hell combined. So there's over 2,000 verses referencing money. So it's a very important topic. But um, that theology being, there's, there's those two main big uh, systems that Paul talked about, one being that governmental system, that liberal uh, theology of it, of which leads into just other governments saying that everybody, you know, we should all be equal and everything should be spread out from the top down to the bottom to the conservative economics, um, that more capitalistic approach of, you know, you can earn and make as much as you want and do those types of things and utilizing and growing an economy that way. Um, so that governmental essence of how that's played out, but then also then there's wide big spectrums in the church even. So the health, wealth, and prosperity aspect. So uh, that prosperity economics that the more faith you have, the, the more you're gonna get. So um, the more you give, the more you get, that mentality. All the way down to that idea of, that monastic idea of, oh, the more holy you are is the more you give away and the, and the less you have and the more you sacrifice, right? Um, that which you know, those are those two ends of the spectrum, so we want to find that someplace, someplace in the middle. Um, 
So those are those big theologies of how it plays out in, in our government and then also in our church. And then the blessings being, um, you know, I listened to those ones and a couple of people had some good ideas that like the way God blesses um, in the Bible is, you know, could it just be at that time of need? It may not be that he's, you have an abundance or you have a ton, but he gives you what you need at the time you need it. So that's God blessing you with money and resources. Um, or yes, just providing in general, uh, wealth and, and resources by God. God fed the Israelites, you know, he provided land for them, um, descendants, all of those things God gave them and blessed them um, with those material, with those hard things that he gave them throughout, throughout the Bible. Um, and then the curses being, those are just those impacts of the fall, right? So now when we look at our resources, we we're stingy with them, right? So the impacts of the fall, we, all, we fight over them. We fight over those resources that, um, that are limited. And so we feel like if I give it away, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have enough for myself, right? So we, that sin nature creeps in and we, we wanna hold it for ourselves. Even our work, how we, how we earn our money is corrupted by the sweat of our brow. Sometimes, in, sadly, in culture, we step on other people's backs and, and get at, you know, and stab them in the back to make ourselves have more. So that's also a corruption of the fall of just trying to gather wealth that we do it um, maybe unjustly or um, unhonestly, sadly. Um, so at the expense of other people. And just we just flat out tend to love, love money more than God, right? And that we, we love uh, the created things more than the creator. So that is a, a sad impact of the fall of, of curses of money. So, and I think there's a very wise comment of Mo Money, Mo Problems by Jesse. So that was also something I wrote down. Um, so then that, that I, big main idea, too, that Paul talked about is who does it belong to, right? Who, who, is, who are these things? Who does it belong to? All the things we have, all the, especially here in America, that we can see how much we have. Um, but just that God owns it all, right? He is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? So there's so many verses that reference the, the creator and that he is it, um, that he owns it all. But he does, Paul did a great job of talking about it, but he does give us dominion, right? He told, tells us to, to rule over it, to, to keep the land, right? So we have that responsibility. Even though God owns it all, we have the responsibility to, to tend and to keep it. Um, so we are stewards, ultimately, of, of what he's given it to us, that we really have it on loan, and that uh, we're, he will decide, you know, judge us on how we handle what he's given us, because he can give and he can take away as well, right? So um, we're responsible to do, to do well with what he's given us. Um, so we really just need to learn that aspect of that tension of money, of how do we hold money with an open hand? How do you view it, your resources that... You know, whether it can just be your money, your retirement, your children, your marriage, all the things we have that holding them with an open hand, that if God takes it away, that that's God's will. Um, that if God puts it in your hand, then, then we say praise God. But when we have a clenched fist on those things, that's when it, that's when it becomes a hard issue, right? That we're, we're too tight with our money or we're too tight with our stuff that we, we need to hold them with an open hand. Um, even that uh, God, money is not inherently that bad thing, that God had great kings like David and Solomon that had a ton of things. But then you think of Job, of where he did take it away, but then he blessed them and he had even more from trusting God in the end. So 
those were the big main things that, that Paul talked about, the blessing and the curses of money, and then who ultimately, who ultimately owns it all and who belongs, uh, who, who does it all belong to. Take it away. So as I said, we want to uh, focus in today on a couple important topics regarding money. Um, this is not a how do you build wealth type of conversation. Hopefully there's things you can take out of that, but it's more like um, what types of things should you be thinking about with regards to money. So, and then as a pastor here, I want, I want to talk to people about provision as well, providing for your family, or who should you be providing for. Um, so... One way that money can be a blessing is for provision. So in this world that we live in, God has seen it fit to use money as a medium of exchange. And that's just an economic phrase that means it's, it's, it's the thing that you use to exchange to get what you need. It's the medium of exchange. Um, so when we're, we are called to provide for our families, we need to provide things for our families. To provide things in this world, you need to get those things. You're usually trading money to get those things. So we need money to provide for the most part, especially because this is a Sunday school class on money. I mean, there's other types of provision. There's spiritual and emotional provision, stability. There's all those types of things, uh, of course. So we're not going to nuance ourselves to death here. Today we are talking about money. And with regards to provision, a lot of the passages in the Bible on this, they talk about work. This is almost more of a, a work bullet point than it is a money bullet point. And by the way, there's two handouts. One has blue. We have lots of those left. One has black and white text. We ran out. Paul ran us more copies. So if you don't have the black and white one, Paul can get, grab you one. And all that is, that's our, our main points with one of, the, one of the Bible verses that we'll be drawing more attention to. There's a lot of scripture in here, but uh, one of the main ones would be for each bullet point there. So just take notes. Um, so yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the verses, a lot of the topics, a lot of the areas where we're talking about provision, it talks about working. So you're, it's assumed that you will get money when you work. Uh, we need to work to be able to buy things, it's probably not news to anyone. And work is not bad. In fact, work is good. God put Adam in the garden to work before the fall, before sin entered the world. Genesis 2 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we see that Adam has to work, and we see that along with this work, Adam was allowed to eat of the fruit of the garden. So we, have a, we also have a very generous father. He loves to provide for us. And this is, uh, this is a, an important thing to let steep in your mind. You've got a generous father in heaven. He loves to bless, okay? Uh, Matthew 6, 25 um, through 34, I'll, I'll probably paraphrase this for the sake of time, but it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, uh, 
It talks about God clothed the grass and the lilies, uh, and so we don't need to be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? That's what the Gentiles worry about. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now I'd argue in seeking the, ki the kingdom of God, that's going to include an element of work as well. So uh, it's not saying sit on your couch and wait for God to provide for you. God will provide, though. God provides for the grass and the flowers and the sparrows. He will provide for us because we have a greater value than the grass and the sparrows. It's indeed a comforting thought, but how will he provide? Will it be manna on the ground every morning? Probably not. Miracle dollars? Have you guys heard of miracle dollars? Good. <laughs> there are churches that talk about miracle dollars, I guess. I found this as I was doing some researching. I'm glad you haven't heard of them. Um, it could be. God can do that. God can do anything. But that's not what we're waiting around for. 1 Timothy 5. This is kind of the core verse here about provision. Sorry, 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This should indicate in a major way that God intends to provide for us, for our families, through work. That is one way that God provides. He will make our work fruitful. Proverbs 12, 11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. We are expected to work. We are expected to work to be able to provide when we read that God cares about us and provides for us more than the sparrows and the grass in terms of material needs, he will do this mainly through work because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So we can read something like God will provide in Matthew 6, and also we can read if anyone does not provide for his family, and we can make sense of it. There's ditches on both sides of this path. You can become idle and not provide well. Um, I've heard his family's doing this, and it was, I heard from a, a guy that I work with, and he's not a Christian, but he knows of a family in his life. They literally couch surf and wait for God to provide. So that's not a great testimony. And I'm he hearing this from a non-Christian who, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to him why someone would do that. So it's not a good testimony. Um, but you can also fall, fall off into the other ditch and say, I got this, I'm gonna do it. You're trusting in yourself, your own abilities, your own skills, you're leaving no room for trusting God. So we're trying to make the connection between work, money, and provision. And then there's two types of provision I wanna discuss quickly, as discussed already. We are to provide for our households, 1 Timothy 5.8, okay? If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his house, members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That part is clear. And um, let's see. Oh, and then who's supposed to do the providing? In this passage, it says his. And we also know from Ephesians 5, husbands, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And also, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So we believe the primary provider of a household should be the man. That is not to say it is wrong for the wife to work, but the primary provider should be the man. It is clear that the man is in charge of this provision, and he should not be stingy with his family. 
It's implied in other places as well. We see in Luke 11, it said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So fathers in the Bible are understood to be providing and to be loving and to be generous with their families. Who else are we supposed to provide for? Future generations. Proverbs 13, 22. This provision is not just for the people sitting around the dinner table with us. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So that's what a, a, a good man would do. This does not ha- it doesn't mean we have to provide a trust fund so that the grandkids never have to work. Okay? But it does mean that there, there should be something, if we can. And since that's a good thing to do in biblical terms, the, a larger inheritance might be better than a smaller one. So this type of provision outlines a difficult calling. We can't do it on our own. We need God's grace, and we need God to make our work fruitful. Ecclesiastes 5.18 is helpful here. It says, Behold, 18 through 20 actually, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift from God. So that last part just saying, um, work, work is toil at times after the fall, often for some of us. Um, and if we can find enjoyment in that and, and the wealth and the possessions that we do have and we can enjoy the work, that is a gift from God. And we have a generous father. God loves to bless our work as well. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So that's the provision one. And in summary there, the man needs to do the providing. That means the provision, and provision comes through work. God can bless that work, but God will primarily use that work as a means to provide for your family. You should also be making those good plans that biblically good plans to provide an inheritance for your grandchildren. So let's move on to generosity. The Oxford Dictionary defines the term generous as showing readiness to give more of something as money or time than is strictly expected. So you're giving more money or time than would be expected of you. That's generosity. And we serve a generous God. Psalm 104, it goes on for several verses talking about God's generosity uh, with creation. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for, uh, for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen a man's heart. So God sustains and provides generously for all of creation. Proverbs 104, starting with verse 10. 
He waters it, he feeds it, he orders it, he provides for creation in every way. And more than this, we know that we serve a personal God that is far more generous with us than just filling our bellies. We serve a God that wanted to see us in, the present, in his presence for eternity, who snatched us from the mire of sin and death, and he made us a new creation. And not only this, but he did this at a great expense to himself. So John 3.16, the ultimate Sunday school passage, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is generous with us. We see that at the cross. Far more generous with us than we could ever imagine. And the generosity doesn't even end there. While we're made in the image of God, and while we have been the recipients of this incredible generosity, we should be generous in return. And when we are generous, God blesses that too. One of the many verses you could look at for this is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the question might be coming into your mind here, okay, generosity sounds good, but who should we be generous to? So I have three ideas for you here. Number one is the church. We should give to the church, and we do believe it should be the church. It's not something that we go into church discipline over. These are conversations we have a couple times a year. But first, um, we give to the Lord. Let's, let's start with giving to the Lord. Uh, we'll use Proverbs 3 for this. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. So in terms of giving, um, giving that amount here, giving, being generous with the church, I should say, we, our position paper on tithing and stewardship covers this a lot. If you email me, I will send it to you. If you come up after to me and ask me for it, I will forget. So if you email me, I will get you the paper. Uh, and I'm going to do a super brief supersonic speed flyby of the topic of the reasons to give to the local church. In our position paper, there's five of them spelled out in paragraph form. You're going to get a few bullet points here. So in the Old Testament, the Jews gave to the Levites. The Levites were their ministers. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5 and other places in the New Testament as well. We give to the local church because the local church is God's revealed plan to disciple the nations. This is why in our theological tradition, we put a big emphasis on the local church. That's where our efforts and our hearts are. And then church planting, because we think that is God's revealed plan to disciple the nation, is through churches. There's no other biblical entity designed for this. Okay, And I'm saying controversial things here. Uh, you may or may not know it, because what I'm saying, there's... There are parachurch ministries. They are not churches that do great kingdom work. And we often get the comment, what about them? Right? And, and we're thankful for them. But I would say even, even a missionary needs to be going to a church somewhere. Even the people that run parachurch ministries. So Campus Crusade for Christ would be one. Um, oh, what's the other big one at college campuses? 
Fellowship of Christian Athletes. The leaders in those types of ministries also need to be in a church. It comes back to the church. Um, so anyway, we're not saying they're bad. We're just saying in the Bible we see that God has um, designed the plan of, to disciple the nations through the local church. Also, the local church is more accountable to the giver. You're here every Sunday. If you start seeing flashy watches and nice cars with the Proctors and the, the Brinkmans, you can ask questions, okay? Um, also, if we say we're going to do something with the money and it's not done in a year, this is more realistic. I'm making fun of Paul right now. More realistically, if we say we're going to do something with the money and it's not done in a year, there's accountability for that. If you give to some place headquartered in the Midwest to do something in the Southeast, you don't really know. There's not a lot of accountability there. So again, there's more accountability here. Uh, also, you may be resisting God. If the church suffers financially while parachurch ministries thrive or mission agencies thrive, God's revealed plan to work through the local church could be impaired financially. And then finally, the practice of giving to the local church encourages self-denial that encourages unity. If we're all giving to the same thing, the same vision, the same mission, we will be united. If we all came in with tithe checks and dropped them in one of 20 boxes that went somewhere else, when, whenever there's kind of a differing of opinions on what should be happening here, there's just less unity. There's less to hang on to. So that's to the church. And we, we again, we love those other agencies, those other entities. Um, they need your generosity too. Uh, you should be generous to the church, also to the church body. We should be generous with our brothers and sisters within the church body. God is glorified by this because we do it in his name. It is his money that we are being a steward of in that moment. And we're giving in a way that he would want us to, to bless others. Let's look at Hebrews 13 for this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And it does reflect the heart of Christ to be generous as well. Christ gave himself up for us. I don't know how you can get more generous than that. And then 1 John 3, verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So that was convicting for me when I put it in here. It's convicting to me to read it now. Again, this is not easy stuff. But when we give and when we're generous, we are reflecting the heart of Christ. Some practical ways to do this here, we have a benevolence fund. Your tithe dollars don't go into the benevolence fund. Our benevolence fund is bigger than it's ever been grows every year, and that's people giving to that specifically by name, okay? And it's there, so if you hear of needs, let us know. That's what it's for, but if you're looking for ways to be generous and provide for practical needs of people within this church, it's there. Ideally, you'd have relationships within the church, probably through home groups, where you'd be made aware of financial needs as well. You could ask home group leaders, you can ask pastors. But these are just practical ways that you can be generous within our church body. Be generous to the family as well. We covered the generosity to our families a bit in the previous section about provision. We talked about fathers being presumed to be generous in the Bible. 
with that Luke 11, talking about you wouldn't give your, your son a scorpion if he asked you for an egg. Um, but in the context of New Testament teachings of Christ, when we're supposed to love our neighbors, in that context, our neighbors are our family. We are supposed to love them. So Mark 12 is one of the many places that this is discussed. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So what that's always getting after here, and even when I mentioned it in the provision section, um, we are wired to take money and buy ourselves things that we want. Okay, We can love our family, love our neighbors, by being generous with them in the same way. Just one example that came to me was a husband with a stay-at-home wife, let's say, and, and kids. If, if the wife is stressed out about grocery budget and shoes for the kids and all that financially, and the husband, um, maybe he's a frugal guy, but has the most expensive hunting gear you can buy because it's the good stuff. I mean, you are not loving your neighbor as yourself in that moment, okay? So that's the type of generosity we're talking about here. If you're generous with yourself, you ought to be generous with your family. And so this is where we start to bump into this prudent financial management, this stewardship. If I'm being generous with my family, how generous should I be? Where do we deny ourselves in order to plan for the future financial needs? So Ryan is going to touch on that. Stewardship and tithing. I'll end it with a discussion about kind of vision, goals, financially, and then Q&A. Hopefully we have time. Thanks. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and really my portion too is just kind of unpacking a lot of what you just said and, and how do you look at it from a different angle of, of, of stewardship. And there's, on the outline here, there's a lot of different points that just, yeah, for the sake of time, I'll kind of fly through. Maybe I won't read all the uh, verses to you, but I'm going to paraphrase them, so I'll give them to you so you can go look them up later um, as I hit each little point here. So, um, one thing that I just thought of while Drew was talking there is that there is a stat out there from giving to the local church and paraministries that if we take, when you do security, we take role and we take attendance because we have to, as an entity, we have to submit those numbers. So when you take all the numbers from across the country of everybody that's in church on a Sunday and then you take the average income of America, if the church just tithed 4%, then all of world hunger, or all of abortion, all of every uh, water, every kid that doesn't have a home, every, every problem you can think of would be fully funded if, if the church just did its job, right? So it is a very important thing, and sadly, as Americans, the greatest wealth power of the world, if we just tithed 4%, uh, those would all be ratified. We would need a bunch of paraministries because the church would have done its job. Sadly, we need a bunch of paraministries, which is great because that's body, the body of believers saying, hey, let's go impact the world, you know, not just being fed on a Sunday, but how do we go impact the world? We as a church tithe, right? So GCF gives to other churches. GCF gives to other ministries. So it's the same idea that GCF also tithes um, on the dollars that we give. So 
giving to your local church is good because then it'll still go to other ministries, right? But those are just thoughts I had of convicting for me, hopefully convicting for you that GCF is a very generous church in nature. But as we go out and talk to other members of, well, I'm going to, this is the stewardship eyes. Is it the second one of, is it wise? Like, well, yeah, I could buy a, a boat or I could upgrade that thing, but I'm only giving 2% or 5%. It's like, well, is that, is that necessary? Whose kingdom are you building there, right? Like, are you building the kingdom of Ryan or am I building the kingdom of God? And those are where our priorities are wrong. And that's a, a heart posture that, that isn't honoring to God. And so that first one being that we want to honor God, um, that first verse that's up there is whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so we want to honor uh, God in, in our work, in our provision, how we provide for our family, that we want to be excellent at what we do. God is an excellent God. He made things perfect. He made the universe. I mean, when you think about the universe and everything, if he was wrong, right? If we were a little bit closer to the sun, we'd all fry. If we were a little bit farther away, we'd all freeze. Like God is perfect. He's a God of order. So striving to be excellent and striving to be really good at what you do is a good thing. That honors God, right? But then also giving it back to him saying, oh yeah, I'm so great. Look at the gifts and the talents. I have built this business or I have done these things. Like, no, God has given me these talents. God has given me these gifts. How do I honor God with these? Um, and, our, and I was thinking with Drew too, is it doesn't mean you have to have a cheesy Christian name or do things in a way that like that honors God. I'm convicted of that. But at the same time, it's just the way you conduct your business, honestly and justly, and the way you serve people, that um, honors God and how you do it. Um, other verses to write down would be 1 Peter 4.10. Um, also just honoring him in our rest, 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 through 9. I mean, just Old Testament, Exodus 34, 21. Those are all things that we could gain. What is a man to gain the whole world to lose his soul? Like we could work and work and work and work, but that is not, we want to slow down and honor God um, and rest also. So, um, but um, yeah, we want to strive to be excellent. There's the lots of application with the, the verses of the, of the talents and the master of the house giving away talents that we, we want ultimately to honor God. We want him to, in the end, to say, well done, right, good and faithful servant. Um, that, that applies to us in our work and how we're giving and how we're generous, that well done with what I've given you um, as, as stewardship. And so next one is just being wise. Um, some of these verses would be Proverbs 2, 6. Proverbs 11.4, James 4.13 through 15, just to name a couple, okay? Um, so being wise in your stewardship of just seeking, seeking counsel, and I'm going to paraphrase those verses I just gave you, but like seeking counsel, um, that James 4.13 is, hey, we can, I'm going to go into such and such town and make money, but it's if the Lord wills, right? Like if the Lord says that that, that is to, you, to what you would do, then, then you do it, right? A man plans his ways, but, the, but God uh, establishes his steps, right? So, but we also, there's, there's uh, wisdom in seeking guidance from many counselors, right? So going, not just making all these big decisions on your own, but God gave you, if you're married, God gave you a helper, taking it to your wife. A lot of men tend to, I'm just going to, I'm going to figure this out because I'm the leader. So, but God gave you a helper, a very capable helper there, or just seeking people in the church or your home group. So there's, 
there's ways to be wise in how should I buy this thing or is this a matter of my heart? Like, can you tell me what you're seeing when you look at my life and I say I want this or I want to buy this or we want to do this thing or we want to move for this job? Like, is, is that wise, right? So seeking counsel um, with people is, is really important as well. And there's t obviously tons of verses on wisdom, um, but also just God, like Drew said, we have the church to be able to lean on. Um, the best wisdom is the Bible, right? Like you could have really great financial advisors and really great um, friends and wise parents and those things, but like the Bible is adequate for everything you need to know, right? Um, it's not going to give you hot stock tips, but it will tell you the matters of the heart of what's wise um, on, how to, on how to steward your money. Um, so then unpacking a little further on the budgeting sign, just quickly the blue handout you have. This is just a good general concept to go, go over yourself. There's some stuff on the back that you can write on, but ultimately on the front is just general biblical principles of stewardship, of uh, practical guide of what do you live on, right? What do you give? What do I owe and what do I grow? So live, give, owe, and grow. And there's that tension between that of, man, how much is it okay for me to spend money on? How much should I be saving for retirement? How much should I be giving? Um, that tension, it's a good tension to have, but there, that there's tension there that's in our hearts of how much do I do, right? Um, and whether you have a little or a lot, you can give. Um, and so I'm going to unpack these a little bit. So, um, or you, could, you can be wise with your money, depending on whether you have a little or a lot. So um, the live one, this is practice, the big thing is practicing contentment, right? These are, these are all matters of the heart. So it's not bad to go on vacations. It's not bad to do these things. It's, it's if that's all we live for are those things. It's if that's all our joy and hope is found in, right, is, is those things. But Ecclesiastes 5.10, okay? Philippians 4.11 to 13, and then Proverbs 15.15. 15. These are all matters of contentment, okay, of of what you're living on. But really, a big, a biggest portion of your budget is should be, uh, probably is going to be what you're living on, just your household expenses, right? Um, but I saw a couple of, like, do you need Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, all of them, right? They're, which now, effectively, those are just channels. We've gotten rid of cable and channels, but now we have channels that we pay separately for. Um, so it's basically the same thing. <laughs> but um, so what do you... How, how, do we, how do we live, okay? And then how do we give? So this is, uh, and I'm going to talk more about tithing, just more in general on the next section, but giving is just, you can also give with your money and your time and your talents, right? Um, I know giving up a night of work to, to do a home group was a big thing I had to be convicted of. Like, well, that's revenue loss. I could be working and doing stuff, but God has called me to lead a home group. So that was a, but God has, God's honored on that when you give your time and your talents and your gifts to, to serve the church or to do other things or um, sh should I be you know guarding your schedule to make sure we don't work too much um, as well but uh, to being hospitable so having a budget for that like how much do we spend as a family on inviting other people over um, that's another part of what Drew talked about just being generous um, so that's un there's a difference between tithing and being generous okay of, of generosity um, and then owe, you know, owing being paying your taxes, so pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, but also the Bible doesn't say to not go into debt. It says to pay your debtors, right? So it doesn't say that debt is bad or inherently like if debt is evil. 
But at the same time, we are a slave to it, right? It references being a slave to sin, that you are a slave to that lender when you owe them money. And, and it does. It weighs on you when you have a lot of debt. But there is a big difference between good debt and bad debt, right? There's debt that's wise that you leverage and utilize and let time and compound interest and, and other things that you can do, like rentals and buying a home. Probably none of us would have a home if we couldn't finance them. Um, not everybody can pay cash for a home, so there's a good use of debt. Should I buy a $100,000 Tesla or maybe like a good practical car? Like that would be maybe not a wise decision of different debt. Not that you can't do that, but is that in your budget, right? Like is, is it affordable is one thing too. Like does that, if I'm giving and if I'm doing these things and there's a the leftover, well, yeah, maybe that's okay for you. That doesn't, or maybe you buy the practical Tesla. Um, but that, again, not that that's bad or bad, nice cars are bad, um, but it's just the idea of like, does it fit within the rest of your lifestyle, right? You can't, um, I do see sadly a lot of like, you go to apartment complexes or people that can't buy a home, but they have really nice cars. It's like, well, there's probably a, you know, a, an issue there uh, potentially. So you don't know their situation, but um, we just want to make sure we're not putting money into things that are depreciating also. But owing, so the O, o taxes and debt, Luke 20, 22, Romans 13, 1. One on debt would be Proverbs 22, 7, okay? Uh, Rovers, I just want to read Romans 13, 7. Pay all that you owe, whether it taxes and fees or respect and, and honor. So whether it's taxes and fees, where you're paying debt or you're paying taxes, like pay just pay them, right? You're, you're required to make your payments on time. When we're getting behind payments, we're doing those, that's when we fall into uh, the bad category of, of owing not being good. And then what do we grow? Uh, so Proverbs 13, 11, um, those who try to gain wealth hastily, it'll dwindle. So that would be gambling or lottery tickets or get rich quick schemes, right? Or what can I do to make money so I don't have to work, right? That's probably a wrong posture of your heart, right? But then the second part of Proverbs 13, 11 is, but those who gather little by little will have great wealth. So that's, God is literally talking about compound interest and he's talking about time and he's talking about you just gathering little by little and slowly increasing it and letting time do its job. And so what is the, um, so that's just the, the idea of growing. And so the Bible says to do that, says to save, it says to store up. Um, not so that my barns are big and then I build more barns and I build more barns, but like test, and then God also says, test me with that. Give your money away and I will fill your barns, right? So there's that, that tension there. We want to store up, um, but we also want to give it away because God says, well, just test me in that. Um, I will provide. So practically, it could be we, we want to grow by like 10%. Like if you could save 10% for retirement or save for the long term, the 60 or 65 year old you will be really happy, right? Do we need to save 20 and just save? A lot of people think we need to save so much because I need a million dollars. I gotta get to that fast or whatever that dollar amount is. It's, do you need that much? Um, is it practical? Because now you're storing up these because now you become cheap over here. We don't do date nights. We don't do other stuff because we have to save over here. Like, is that practical? Like if we stick to 10%, if we stick to that and let time do its stuff, well, then we can give 10% if that's the number, right, that you go by. You can owe. I think a practical thing on owing is you don't want to have, even banks say this, you don't want more than 30% debt to income ratio, right? So we don't want to have more than 30% of our budget going towards debt. Um, and then the other 50% is practically what you live on. 
And those are just te a template of that. Um, so wh where does it follow? It could be off a few percentages here and there, but that's just a good general template. Um, the investment side of things, Matthew 6, 19 to 24, uh, Proverbs 21, 5, 1 Timothy 6, 9, but ultimately investing, let me know if you guys need that again, but uh, Matthew 6, 19, Proverbs 21, 5, 1 Timothy 6, 9, but ultimately investments, there's so many vehicles. There's obviously what we're not doing up here is giving economic outlook and stocks and tips, but it's in investing in the kingdom of God is a good investment. That is where moth and rust will not destroy, right? That's a pretty good investment if you're going to put money somewhere. Um, I would recommend that, right? Um, investing in your marriage is a good one too. So investing in date nights, investing in those things, investing in your relationship because the two big things that ruin marriages, right, are sex and money. And they usually go hand in hand. Um, if money is bad and budget's bad and there's animosity between who spends, want what, and this, well, then that probably leads into lack of intimacy, right? And there's lack of intimacy, you try to probably find you're to fulfill things and buying stuff, right? So those really, there's, those are the two major fights that happen in marriage is, is sex and money. Um, so we wanna make sure we invest in our, in our marriages. Um, I've had situations where a husband has died and the wife is like, yeah, I just don't know what I'm gonna do. We don't have anything. We've just never been able to do anything. We've never been able to go out to eat or that he had $2 million in cash that she didn't even know about. It's like, but that, oh man. He never paid for anything. He never did anything. But he had millions of dollars stored that she didn't know about, right? Like, that's just being, there's being frugal and there's being cheap. Um, there's tons of different vehicles out there, whether that's your 401k at work, an IRA, a Roth IRA, whether you do pre-tax or after-tax, if you just do regular investments. There's tons of vehicles out there that you have to be efficient and be tax efficient. And then depending on what, what's the engine that drives those, right? Is it stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things like that, cash, CDs, short-term, mid-term, and long-term vehicles that can get you to where you need to go. Um, how am I doing? Yeah, well, next one being insurance. Insurance is one of those things like, yeah, we want to protect. Like, like Drew said, you want to provide no, I would say if you don't have insurance, if we don't protect the short-term needs of, while, while there's definitely uh, like term insurance that you have that's short-term, there's sometimes permanent needs uh, if, if it fits in your plan are, are good too for the long-term needs. And then estate planning on passing on and, and inheriting, which is a biblical term as well. So, um, so that's, those are all. There's lots of things on that, but I'd say no life insurance in some sense is, is probably bad stewardship um, because we're not, especially in a young stage of a, not everybody needs estate planning, right? That's, that's a bell and a whistle on the side of stuff. But in the short term, when we're protecting our family when there's needs, when we haven't stored up what we need yet, there's, there's, a, there's a need there that, that's crucial. Um, tithing. I'm going to fly through this part. Um, we want to do it as worship. So like Drew mentioned a bunch on it of, Offering our first fruits, first fruits, not our second fruits or our later fruits. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna increase and do that later. But I want, really want to pay this thing off because that's bothering me. Or I really wanna, really wanna get that car. I need a car first, then I'll tithe a little bit more. Right? That that is being earthly minded instead of heavenly minded. Okay. Um, 
our priorities are not in line if tithing is gonna come second or last. A lot of people talk, well, do you tithe on your gross or do you tithe on your net? Do you want God to bless your gross or bless your net, I would say. Um, I would also say, how many of you want the government to get your first fruits and God gets your second fruits? I don't, I don't think it says this. This is pay unto Caesar. No, you want to try to pay them as little as possible and take as many advantages that you can. But ultimately, the first fruits, I would say, would be your gross is what you give on. Um, and that's to anybody's conscience, right? That is not a bad if you're not, if you're not doing gross. It would be a goal, right? Hey, I'm only giving five, but I'm only saving five also. I think where it gets lopsided is that when you're saving 15% into your 401k and 5% to the church. Again, whose kingdom are we building? Well, maybe lower your 401k down to 10 and bump your giving to 10. You've not changed your budget, you've not changed your outlook, but now you're glorifying the Lord in, in both ways. You're saving for the long term and giving. That's a practical way to look at whose kingdom are you, are you building. Okay. Um, I love the story of the, the woman with the mites with her two, her two coins. She gave sacrificially, she gave it all. It wasn't about how much, right? Like God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart, right? That's all that matters. He does not care how much it is. That's why a percentage is good. It may be $100, because that's 10%. But she gave two coins. She could, the cool thing about that story is that she could have given one. But she gave, so if, if she would have given one, that would have been even, we would have been really proud of her if we knew she had two and she gave one, that's 50%. That's amazing Like she gave that. But she gave both. If she had, if the story had only said she gave one, then we'd be like, oh, that's really great, but she probably has more. But no, she had two, and she gave all of them. So it's, it's very specific that she gave two. Um, not she had a few, and she gave two of them. Like, she gave all that she had. She gave sacrificially. She gave to honor and trust the Lord. So, and on this side of the cross, how much more should we be able to give? Because like Drew alluded, God gave. Like, God is a giver, uh, first and foremost. So, um, then we want to do it as obedience, right? So Christ was humble in obedience, um, and he gave up everything, even death on a cross, right? So it is to obey. God so loved the world that he gave. There's lots of commands in Scripture about giving. You cannot outgive God. Um, it should compel us on this side of the cross to give as well. So um, there's, again, local church versus paraministries. I would say tithing. Tithing is your local church. Paraministries is God loves a cheerful giver. So giving generously would be above and beyond your tithe. That, that doesn't count towards the 10%. And maybe it's 5% that you're at now and you're giving 1%. But I would say the goal would be the local church, the people who are feeding you, like Paul and Jeff, and it says to provide for them because they are not earning a living. This is for them to earn a living. Um, not to have private jets, but to earn a living, right? And a healthy living. And we want to be generous so that they can they can also then be generous and hospital, hospitable themselves. So, okay. All right, thanks. So we'll try to wrap up here in the next couple of minutes. Um, so we haven't told anyone, how do you grow your wealth and become rich? We've talked about biblical principles around money. If you, if, <laughs> the only thing we've said that would help you grow your wealth would be work hard and be generous. It's kind of what we've said so far. But I think there's more to it. I mean, Ryan talked about the stewardship element and, and breaking up the budget into um, 
you know, saving for the future, paying expenses now, being generous, those things. Uh, but a really helpful exercise that I find uh, to do is it's good for any kind of business or even for a household, just a vision. Where are you going? And some goals to get you there. So the vision, we, we've given three weeks now of kind of biblical principles around money, things to watch out for, things to be looking forward to, um, things to be thinking about. And so the, the, the rest of it's kind of on you to, find, to take that, to pray through it, and to think about where do you want it to be? What do you want things to look like in your house with regards to money? That way, you have something you can back into and come up with the right number for you, the right number to save, the right number to give, the right number to invest. We think there's guardrails, but there's not exactly prescriptive numbers in the Bible. Um, and then also, so, so work on the vision. How, how do you know if you, should be, if you should be saving for a boat or a vacation or to pay off a credit card or to fund a startup a business startup for your son or to help someone plant a church? How do you know if you don't know where you're trying to get, if you don't have a vision for where, for where you're going and what your money is for? So I would encourage you all to sit down and talk about that. What do we want our house to look like financially, so to speak, and today and in the future? And that will give you some clarity of where to start asking around. So the next thing, Ryan alluded to it though, but being wise, part of that is finding practical help. We have a lot of financially smart people in our church. Uh, ask. If you don't know, ask. And if you don't want to ask, there are 10 gajillion people trying to sell books and blogs or even giving good information for free all over the internet. YouTube, Twitter, all of it. It's there. People aren't making poor financial decisions for lack of information, okay? And this is not overly complicated anyhow. It's not easy, but it can be fairly simple, okay? So I would say get your mind wrapped around the vision. Once you have that, you can kind of back into the goals and decisions you need to be making on a day-to-day -day basis to get, to, to get where you want to be. And, and be prayerful. Use these biblical principles to establish that vision and then also to pursue it. We are pretty much out of time. Um, Paul, can we have two minutes for questions? Okay. Are there any questions? All right, Ryan, you did it perfectly? Yes. No questions. Oh, there was one. All right, Ben. <laughs> I'll give my quick answer and then you can. I would say first fruits means first fruits, so don't quit tithing. Uh, second, if you have a vision of where you're going, you can run the math on interest payments that you'll pay over the The question was about student loans, if you couldn't hear, okay? Should you pay them off? Should you quit tithing to pay them off? That kind of thing. 
Um, you can run the math and see what your interest payments will be. You can run the math and see what would it be like to make minimum payments and do different things with the excess dollars over here. Start a business, invest it, save it, whatever it might be. Be generous with it. So the math part actually gets easy. Um, God informs, the Holy Spirit informs our conscience. So uh, as long as you're well-informed in biblical principles about money, I would say if you have a vision, run the math, see where it takes you, seek wisdom, come to a decision on that. But I would, I would not quit giving. And, and the reason I caveat that so much is a financial calculator would say carry low interest debt all the time. Because if you, and I'm not saying that's the right answer, I'm just saying the math says low interest debt is no big deal, really, if you can take excess money and invest it at a rate higher than the interest you're paying. So now interest, student loan rates are kind of, they're, they're not low, they're not super high either, but it's, it's, it's a kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's a judgment call for a lot of us. I'd say you'd be obeying, paying your debtors, but then disobeying tithing so that wouldn't you'd be disobedient in that sense and I even thought of like tithing even with the if we do a lot of electronic giving nowadays and we we have a tithe box in the back if just because you're a college student you don't make a lot doesn't mean how well the church yeah we don't care about your hundred bucks a month like that isn't but it's you being obedient it's you developing a habit of tithing because I would say what comes next well I paid off my student loan but now my car needs to be fixed so now I'm going to do my car and now we did this, and now I got a dog, and now I got married, and now I got this. So you'll, you just won't tithe. So develop the habit first. That should be first and foremost, and that will come later. Like, that's good debt. That's not you living beyond your means that you created debt. That's good debt. Even, like, uh, if you're not, you're not a, like Drew mentioned, that, that you're not a part of this unity in the body of Christ uh, of giving. Uh, made me think of, like, if you're the husband or you're the person that always writes the check on your tithe, the other spouse doesn't even know they're not a part of that, bring them into that fold. Then pray with them over, hey, this is what we're giving this month. You, let's pray together so that we can ask God to bless these dollars. Turn these little dollars into big dollars, right? He can do a lot with a little also. We really do need to wrap up. Sorry, guys. Let me pray. Close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that, again, for the wisdom, for the, for the guidance in your word to help us think about money. Would you, would you change our hearts to seek after your kingdom first before our own kingdoms, to, to find joy in giving and generosity and providing for others? Bless us as we try to do this. We need your grace. This is difficult. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.